Thank you to each one who participated in our service tonight. Welcome. It's great to see you, and I'm glad to see so many here tonight. I'm also a bit worried, to be quite frank. Uh, one of the things they told us in seminary, in uh, homiletics, is never promise more than you can deliver. And uh, maybe I promised a little more than this morning than I can deliver tonight, except to say that I'm really excited about uh, what I have to present to you. Uh, not that it is uh, new, but it is certainly refreshing the more that you meditate upon it. And I think that's one of the reasons that I am so excited about this, because I've been giving a great deal of thought about these issues for a year and a half, and it is uh, just taken on more and more significance the more I ponder. Now, I know you don't have the benefit of thinking about these things for a year and a half, but I hope that it will stir you to contemplate these issues in your life. One of the things I'm going to do tonight is answer the question, what is God's will for your life? Okay, that's always a hot topic. It's a, a, a must in speaking to teens. You've got to address what is God's will for your life. Well, tonight, uh, at the end, I'm going to tell you what God's will is for your life. And uh, we're going to begin by saying that God's will for you is to display His glory. Uh, we often have a tendency to divide the world into secular and spiritual. And we talk about full-time Christian service. We talk about those who are serving the Lord, meaning they're missionaries or they're pastors or they're counselors or they're in some kind of field that is particularly Christian. Well, in the Reformation, and you may have heard the term uh, Martin Luther. I heard that you, were, you met him last week. But, uh, but our friend Martin would uh, talk about the priesthood of the believers. The fact that, that each and every person was to be a priest, as opposed to the kind of monastic order that, that uh, Martin Luther was associated with. And so he came to the realization that all people are to be, quote-unquote, priests. That everyone has a responsibility to, to serve the Lord. And in that service there is a commonality. Uh, I note here tonight that in the redemptive work of Christ, he fulfills God's purpose for mankind. I've been talking on Sunday nights about the second and uh, first Adam, uh, the first being the literal Adam, the second being Jesus Christ. And he's called the second Adam because he came to not only... Uh, Restore, but even enhance that for which God had created Adam. If you look with me, the key verses are Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female created he them. I'm going to unpack what that is for just a, in just a moment, but I begin with the emphasis that the primary duty and responsibility of each and every one of us is to bear the image of God. That's our primary responsibility. That is God's will for us. 
that we show forth the image of God. Only mankind is able to do that. That's why God said in Exodus 20 verse 4, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness. King James, you shall not make unto thee any graven image. You're not to carve out a representation of God. Because if you carve out a reputation, a, a representation of God, it is going to be wrong. It is going to pervert the true character of God. In the book of Isaiah, the Psalms, and other poetical books, God talks about the fact that the idol doesn't see, even though he has eyes. He can't hear. He can't speak. He can't move. He's, he's powerless. He has to be carried about. And so any physical representation of God is going to greatly limit our understanding of who the true and living God is. And instead of having a physical representation of God is, he, in his great and mighty wisdom, chose to reveal himself to and in mankind. So the first Adam was made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. And that image is twofold. First, the image of God is displayed in relationship. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the first part of being created in the image of God is in this relationship of male and female. The relationships are to be displayed are a oneness of unity. The oneness of God is seen in the plural pronouns and singular nouns in Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us, plural, make man in our plural image, singular, according to our likeness. So the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, said, let us, Trinity, make man in our image. Not images and in our likenesses. But let him make man in our image. The image of the triune God. Let man be like the triune God. And in order for that to be accomplished, mankind had to be plural. Male and female were they created. Not that God is male and female, but that the relationship that existed between male and female would be reflective of the kind of relationship that exists between, among God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That mutual love, that mutual concern, the, the submission, the leadership, all that is displayed in the Trinity is then to be seen in the relationship of husband and wife. B, the oneness of relationship was to be displayed in the marriage of Adam and Eve. Genesis 2.23, And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And then God said, For this cause, a man shall leave his father and his mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They will become one entity. They will become one unit. They are going to be like God, who is one, 
there is to be a oneness between husband and wife. And of course, this is rather uh, interesting because it says that Adam and Eve are to leave father and mother. They have no father and mother to leave. Uh, they are the first ones. But the point is that that which was accomplished in Adam and Eve is to be accomplished and reduplicated in all of our lives. And that is that in our marital relationships, we are to display the oneness that exists among the Godhead. However, as a result of the fall, that image of oneness was marred. The oneness in marriage was marred. For in the beginning, in Genesis 2.25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. However, after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They destroyed that unique, intimate relationship that existed between them. And the oneness among brothers and sisters was marred. Verse 8 of chapter 4. And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. You see, that's all the result of the fall. That's all the result of sin. That the unity that was to exist among mankind was greatly, greatly marred. So that husband and wife did not get along. I'll come back and talk more about that in a few moments. But even brother and sister, and in this instance, brother and brother, didn't get along. Secondly, the image of God is displayed in mankind's kingship of, or rule over the, all the earth. Genesis 1.26 Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So the dominion of Adam is seen in his naming of the animals. He's to have kingship. He is to reflect the authority of God in heaven. He is to reflect the kind of leadership that God displays. That's the second way in which they were to bear the image of God. First being in the relationship. Second in the exercise of authority. The exercise of kingdom. The exercise of rule. Genesis New 19. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. Meaning that was what that thing was to do. That was the oversight that was directed. For notice in Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of his greatness, of his might, and of his strength, and his power, not one of them is missing. So in calling them by name, he demonstrates not only the, the wisdom and the insight, but the control and the authority. And the idea is that when Adam is to name these animals, he's to put them to good use. He's to care for them. He's to protect them. He's to utilize them. He is to reign over them. And Adam's dominion was to be exercised in two ways. First, Adam was to develop the earth. And then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it, to develop it, to make it rich and prosperous, to cause it to bear more fruit. And then the passage goes on to talk about gold and 
and all the precious metals that existed. And you see, he was to, to take these things and, and to use them in such a way as to display the, 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 the wisdom and the creative power of God. He was to be creative. He was, he was to develop it. And secondly, he was to protect it, preserve it. Genesis 2.15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. With the emphasis on preserving, protecting, watch over it. Make sure that nothing ill would happen to it. As God watches over us and protects us and, and keeps us. However, Adam failed in that dominion and thus marred the image of God. He failed in both respects. Adam failed in protecting the earth. As a result of the fall... Genesis 3.17 Then to Adam, this is God speaking, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you are not to eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles will grow. He didn't protect it. He didn't keep it. He didn't preserve it. But quite the opposite happens. Now thorns and thistles begin to grow. Rather than to develop it, it goes backwards. And Adam failed in protecting and preserving Eve. Genesis 3.6 When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. The emphasis is on the fact that Adam is with Eve. He's standing by. He's watching. He is listening to the conversation that's taking place between the evil one and Eve. He doesn't interject. He doesn't involve himself. He observes. He watches as she takes. He, she watches as she eats, and she hands to him, and he eats also. He didn't preserve her. He didn't keep her. He didn't protect her. He didn't guard her. He failed miserably in the exercise of his dominion, in the exercise of his authority. He didn't preserve and keep that which was trusted to him. So, Two, through Christ, the second Adam, the image of God is not only restored, but enhanced. So, in Jesus Christ, we find the image of God again. And this time, we find the image of God perfectly. Christ is the express or perfect image of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Christ, who is the image of God. Colossians 1.15, and he is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Or as the NIS translates it, he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. Jesus is the perfect representation of God. So much so that he could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld him as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace 
and truth. In him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And the manifestation of that image of God that is displayed in Christ is seen in his relationships and in his dominion or authority. Now, here comes the practical part and here comes the exciting part. As Christians, the image of God is renewed in us as we are united to Christ and conform to the image of Christ. As we are conformed to Christ's image, we ultimately are conformed to the very image of God. Through union with Christ, the image of God is being restored in regenerate mankind. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. We're now being renewed to a true or right image according to the one who has created us. Now, we get to live out the original mandate of God to Adam in our relationships and the exercise of any authority that we have. Through union with Christ, the image of God is being enhanced. Romans 8.29, For whom he foreknow he also to predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that's what God is about in our lives. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Well, what in the world does that mean? How does that look practically? What is it that causes me to be holy in the way in which God is holy? How do we live? How do we dress? What does that look like? Well, the answer comes in being like Jesus. What does that look like? Well, it's our relationships. And the exercise of any authority or responsibility that we possess. That's true of each and every one of us. That's what we're to do. Manifest a Christ-like glory in our relationships one to another. And in whatever exercise of authority that we possess. So when you go to the workplace, when you have that authority, when you intermingle with your co-workers, with your spouse, with your children... You're to display the glory of God in relationship and authority. Now let's unpack it. First, through union with Christ, the image of God's oneness or unity is being restored. The oneness that is to be displayed in marriage is restored. Ephesians 5.1, the bigger context. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. We're back to the image concept. Be imitators of God. Be like God. Try to live like God. Verse 2, And walk in love, just as also Christ also loved you and gave him up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Follow the example of Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us and sought to serve the Father in the process. So, be like God. Be like Christ, who loves sacrifices And does so in order to glorify God. So Ephesians 5.22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, 
so also the wives ought to be to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as also Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I didn't have the time to, look, to be putting all the scripture in, but we can go to 1 Corinthians and find out that we are to be, wives are to be subject unto their husbands, even as Christ is subject unto God. There's to be a display of the kind of relationship that exists in the Trinity. As Jesus, the Son of God, delights to do the will of the Father, so too in marriage the, the wife is to delight in doing the will of the husband. Keep her. Ephesians 5.26 That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself, the church, and all her glory. So here is Jesus, who sacrifices himself in order to present to himself this bride of the church that is without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle, without mar, to protect it. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless, so, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Here's this expression of oneness again. You see that if you love yourself, you will love your spouse for you are one. God the Father loves God the Son God the Son loves the Father, who loves the Holy Spirit. The Spirit loves God the Father, God the Son. They are mutually committed to each other. Secondly, the oneness among brothers and sisters in Christ is restored. John 17, 20, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, now, here's the mind-boggling thought. Even as thou art in me and I in thee, that they may be one in us. The prayer is that we would be one like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. That we would be committed to each other to the same degree that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are committed to each other. That we would love to serve each other even as the Son loved to serve the Father. And said, I have come to do thy will. We ought to delight in sacrificing for each other. We should delight in each other even as the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The intent is that we would have the kind of oneness that exists in the Trinity, going on, verse 22, and the glory, uh, well, let's go back to 21 and finish it, that, that, they, uh, that they may be all one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me, and the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity. That that is completeness. That is perfection. That's the goal. Real, true, actual unity.
that we would be one. And in that oneness, we display the glory of God. We show how beautiful that is. We show how glorious that is. We show how wonderful that is. We show how magnificent it is. Romans 12.5 So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So in relationship, we are to display this oneness of the Trinity. That aspect of the image. Now we go to the image about dominion, rule, authority. Through union with Christ, the second Adam, the image of dominion over the earth will be restored. Christ is going to reign over all the earth, Isaiah 9.6. For a child will be born unto us, a son will be given to us. The government will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. He is going to rule. And what is unique is the manner in which he rules. For he will rule with uh, justice and righteousness. That reign is both present and future. Uh, Hebrews 2, 7 and 8. Thou hast made him for a little while lower than the angels. Thou hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou hast appointed him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him now. But now we do not yet see all things subject to him. Hebrews 1.3 He's the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. I'm talking fast because I'm running out of time. But I want you to see Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, referring to Jesus, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees, nor make a decision by what he hears. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor. And it goes on. You see that he will reign righteously because the spirit of the Lord rests upon him. A spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, fear of the Lord. And we are to manifest those qualities in the exercise of any leadership that we possess. In our homes, in dealing with our children, we are to display those godlike characteristics of wisdom and justice and love and concern and mercy and compassion and care to protect and keep. See, it is essential that in the millennial kingdom, we as a regenerate mankind, renewed in the image of God, reign over all the earth. That's the future. Why is there a millennial kingdom? For us to show forth the glory of God. 2 Timothy 2.12 If we endure, we shall also reign with Him. Revelation 20, verse 6 Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. That's you and me. We have been redeemed. We have been saved. To show forth the glory of God in the relationships that we enjoy to one another and in the exercise of authority over this earth. And one day, we will actually reign 
with Jesus Christ. D. The rule is significant for it is a rule with Christ. It is a fullness of the expression of the image of Christ, both in oneness, relationship, and dominion rule. So, A. A restoration not only the fact of the rule, but also a restoration of the relationship of the rule. First, we rule alongside of Christ. We reign with Him, which is a relational concept. That we enter into this relationship with Christ in reigning. Secondly, we rule under the authority of Christ. We rule in keeping with the manner of Christ. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and become one flesh. We uh, have the wonderful responsibility of showing forth the glory of God. As I've been trying to put this together and, and trying to, to share with you some, some of the excitement about this, is if you think back to the relationship that was marred between Cain and Abel. And of course, Cain rises up and slays Abel. And then God confronts Cain and Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Why does he say that? Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is because God had said to Adam, you shall cultivate the ground and keep it. It's the exact same word. Cain asked the question, Am I the protector of my brother? Am I the guardian of my brother? Is it my business to watch over my brother? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's your primary business. That's your primary responsibility. That's what you were to do. And that's where he failed miserably. He failed miserably. Miserably. Our purpose in life. God's will for each and every one of us is to show forth His glory. Put it in another term. To put on display His image. So that everyone around us can come to a greater, fuller, richer understanding and appreciation of who God is. Part of that is in our prophetic witness. We talk about Jesus Christ. We share the gospel. All those things. But as you and I just live out our lives day by day, it doesn't matter whether I'm a pastor or you're a teacher or you're a craftsman or whatever it is that you do. Tomorrow, we all have the same purpose and we all have the same responsibility. To show forth the glory of God. And we do it in two ways. One, in our relationships. A unity of mutual care and concern, love, 
sacrifice, respect. That we treat each other in such a way that Jesus says, they will know that I have come. They will understand who I am. They will see a difference by just looking at the church. By looking at my family. By looking at your family. They will see the glory that exists in a relationship in which God, God, delights in each other. And then, even more remarkably, that God would welcome us into his family. That we would be considered his children. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That we can be where he is. Experiencing his glory. Glorify them with the glory which I had with you before the world was. That he shares that glory with us. He shares his habitation with us. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. That we can live with him. That we can dwell with him. And so, we represent that great glory by inviting other people into our familial relationships. That's why we're called brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That's why we reach out to a fallen world. Because we want to embrace them and have them enjoy all the blessings of God that we enjoy. In that we are Christ-like. In that we are godly. In that we are so different from a selfish, self-consumed, self-oriented society. We don't just live unto ourselves. We live unto others and to God. We have that privilege. We have that duty. But we also have that ability. Because Jesus Christ came and died, rose again, and has given us the Holy Spirit that is conforming us to the image of Jesus. Transforming our relationships and the exercise of our authority. So that now we aren't just self-serving, we are protecting, guarding, watching over. We are being creative, we're developing. So that when you go to work, you're concerned that you're being productive. You're doing something useful with your life. And you're concerned about your co-worker. You're concerned about your husband. You're concerned about, about your wife. You're concerned about your children. And you use your service for the benefit of others. Not just so that you can prosper. Not just so that you can get rich. Not just so that you can benefit. But even as David understood and realized and said concerning God that, that he knew that God had raised him up as king for Israel's sake. To see that God has placed us in an area of responsibility, as a boss, as a teacher, exercising any kind of authority, it's for the benefit of others. Helping them to be more productive and helping them to be better in their relationships. Um, there's so much more to be said about this. Uh, I, I hope that you can see the the excitement I have about this, because it's just, 
It's just so wonderful that we have this opportunity to put God on display. But what a challenge. A oneness in our relationships that's like a oneness of God. And the exercise of responsibility and authority that reflects the kind of way in which God uses His authority to guard us, to keep us, to watch over us, to protect us, to provide for us. We have that opportunity each and every day to provide for our families, to provide for the homeless, to protect those that are underprivileged, put upon bullies. We have the right and responsibility to intercede in the lives of others. We have the opportunity to protect, to provide, and develop, and the power to do so. Through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to display the image of the Lord Jesus in our relationships. Lord, help us to be one, even as you are one. That all mankind might believe that Jesus Christ has come. Lord, may our relationships, may our church, may our families be so unique in our commitment to each other. That is, it is awesome. It's glorious. It's terrific. And Lord, help us in the exercise of the authority that we possess as husbands, as mothers, as fathers, as employers. In all of our many, many faceted relationships with others. Lord, help us to exert any influence that we possess. Always to help. Always to provide. Always to nurture. Always to develop. And may we see that as our God-given task. Wherever we find ourselves. Oh Lord, help us to understand that great concept of the priesthood of believers. That there isn't the secular and the spiritual. But everything that we do, we are to do to your glory. In exercising this oneness and this dominion. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. And you are dismissed.